Normal is an illusion. What's normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. Morticia Adams. Violin Vice contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Violent Vice. I'm John John. And I'm Audie. And we're here to tell some creepy stories. If you like us, give us five stars. Or if you just want more people to hear us, give us five stars on that podcast. Or subscribe to us for more awesome stories like this. And today, we're going to be talking about the infamous Resputin. Ooh. Yeah, I had to do that trill of the tongue thing for that because it's fun. So most people, including you, Adi, have at least heard of Rasputin. Yes, I have. And he's such an interesting character. Very. And I mean, aside from the character he is in the movie Anastasia, uh, most people see him as a super creepy, evil type guy. But that wasn't always the case. It wasn't. New. No, it was not. He's also a villain in Hellboy. Really? Yeah, the first one. I did not know that. Well, he doesn't really show up a whole lot. And it's mostly just cool CGI monsters. And that's sort of the normal for it. But yeah, he's he's not always considered a bad guy. He did bad things. But not always considered one. Gotcha. So, the thing is, he's known for how much he's influenced Russian politics, but he was born a peasant in Siberia, which, if you don't really know, that's sort of like the wintry tundra desert of Russia that's like super unpopulated. And it was in a small village called Pokrovskoy. I'm almost certain I'm mispronouncing that. But, yeah, he's from a small town in Siberia. And very much not rich. Do you know roughly, like, what year he was born? Uh, It's said that he was born in 1869. On the 21st of January is what records officially say. But it could be a couple days, maybe even more so from that since small town in Siberia is not going to have the most dedicated record keepers of all time. But I mean, some winter of 1869. So yeah, he was born with the name of Gregory. And to be honest, he had a, decently normal childhood i'd say decently because he acted sort of as a typical child would but he also seemed to have sort of these innate healing like powers which was kind of weird what do you mean healing powers well he would be helping people who were sick and essentially he would just have to touch them and they would be feeling already better 
You would also be able to like calm animals that down that were panicking and horribly reacting, but he would be able to just walk up to them and they'd calm down nearly in instantly. So people were already like, there's something weird about this kid. But that's pretty cool. Yeah. And sort of to add more to the poorness of him living in Siberia, out of seven children that his parents had, he was the first one to actually survive childhood. So, Ooh. yeah. But like you said, though, Siberia is not really a very populated place. Not very populated. It's very inhospitable. Yeah. As you started to get older and older, more of these sort of healing miracles would happen. And many people started to either go one way or another with why he's able to do this. Either he was blessed by God or he was a demon in disguise. Like even as a child, there started to get this controversy, like polar opposites if he's a really good person or a really bad person. Oh, weird. Yeah. You figure it'd go one way or another. Yeah, at least leaning one way more so. But yeah, small child with all these people saying you're special, you're start you're gonna start to develop some sort of complex of some sort. And Yeah. That would be typical. Right. I mean, people are always telling children these days that they're special, but like he's performing miracles essentially in a very poor and destitute town so that's you might have like more credibility to that sort of special type feeling i guess yeah i was gonna say that's pretty special especially for the area yeah but that's his early childhood in his teen years he's pretty much a typical kind of teen like well like not very well behaved very rude often getting himself into trouble all the time the rebellious teen years pretty typical yeah kind of how he reacted throughout most of his young adult life uh he did end up getting married he did yes uh essentially once he was of marrying an age he married a woman from his hometown they had four kids and during that time he would often get into drunken brawls and was often cheating on his wife with both prostitutes and well-distinguished women that's what i was gonna say because i remember him or something about him sleeping around a lot so that's why i was surprised he was yeah. married it it did kind of start early but like he was married first before he started doing all these kind of things and he started to get even more into trouble and he was actually caught stealing a horse and was labeled a horse thief. And instead of getting caught and turned himself in, he sort of used as much as he could, like what he had available to essentially escape capture and went to this monastery, sort of like seeking sanctuary. It's just like, I'm in this now. You can't arrest me. I'm changing my ways and whatnot. Got it. And that was... Uh, a church of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So back then it was pretty much like just 
Catholic or Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox was the way they went with that. Okay. And at this time, going there, he didn't know how to read, didn't know how to write. He was a peasant from a poor Siberian area. And while he was here, he actually did put some effort into changing his ways. And when he kind of demonstrated his healing abilities, uh, the people there um, actually thought that maybe he was the second coming of Christ. I was going to say with all his like healing capabilities and like calming of animals and all that stuff. I mean, for the time period, I'm surprised it wasn't brought up earlier. Yeah. uh, Well, like people were already on that divide of Christ antichrist type thing, but he started to like show signs of like actual divine insight type things started making like predictions that would happen and uh, would often take these long walks and traverse the countryside there, which inevitably led him to this essentially offshoot of Eastbox Church that uh, was a cult that would purge their sins doing a ritualistic type purge, getting all their sin out in one one place by how well they would often dance until collapse beat themselves or cause pain to themselves to sort of atone for their sins and during all this stuff when they would finally collapse the person they were next to is who they would then have sex with and sort of get that sin out through that way oh. and this was this cliste or Clistai, Clistis, many different names, but... Was that the cult name or the name of the ritual? Uh, the cult name. Okay. And, yeah, it sort of played into him being still very sexual and very pious at the same time. So it seemed to click very well for him. Well, I bet. I mean, if you start it, though, too, you can kind of make your own. Yeah. And after he sort of really embraced this kind of new lifestyle, he became this nomadic preacher. And he would travel to holy sites, like in Jerusalem and Italy and all these different places essentially around the Mediterranean and instead of begging for coin which wasn't allowed he would essentially offer I guess wisdom preach and cause himself pain to show his piety to all these different rituals that he had and again still like doing the occasional like miracle of healing of some sort but he charged for it but every once in a while, not often, they would offer to pay him to do these things. And then he would accept. And usually it was in some sort of form of food or just a place to stay while he was traveling. Got it. Yeah, so he started to develop this name of a mystic healer type stuff. More so along the lines of like an occult type thing. And... Also at this time was a time where heroin and opium 
and cocaine was used as medicine and developed himself an addiction to these hallucinogenic type drugs which added more to his like prophetic vision type things but not really so, good for his health you know you'd be surprised i'm guessing it did a lot more for his health than he expected but it also didn't do so well for his sanity so probably did good for his body but not for his mind but after all these nomadic travelings and whatnot, he actually traveled back to his wife. And inside his basement, a new gathering place for these Clisties uh, rituals to happen. His wife's basement or his basement? Technically, it was his, oh. but it was where his family was living. Oh, not a and good environment have... to raise kids around, though. Well, they weren't as young anymore because he was gone for a few years. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was here where more and more of his followers and I guess just more people would join in in these rituals and stuff. But I guess during one of these rituals, he received a vision that he needed to help the Tsar of Russia. So he traveled to St. Petersburg. And because his um, his mentor, when he started learning to read and write and all that stuff in that monastery, was the previous spiritual advisor to the Tsar, he kind of used that as sort of connections to get in as some sort of spiritual guide for him. Got it. And the weird thing is, um, these women that were married into the noble families of the Tsar, uh, they were called the two Raven Sisters, who weren't native Russians, but were still part of the Russian nobility because of marriage. Um, they were also pretty involved in like occult-type rituals and knew about him long before he even came to St. Petersburg. Did they participate, I guess, in his rituals before St. Petersburg? Um, not confirmed. Okay. But they were well aware of his magical healing abilities and whatnot. And they were actually who introduced the Tsarina, Alexandria, to Rasputin at a party essentially right after uh, she had lost her spiritual advisor who even prophesied that she would encounter a new person to take his place. Like very, like somehow coincided. Like lining up perfectly. Got it. And she met him at just this party and being the way he was, he almost never bathed truly and would reek constantly Gross. it was like one example is that he didn't seem to care how people thought of him yeah which kind of showed some sort of confidence like he would pick his nose and eat it in front of nobility and public and all the time and not even react to how people saw that still so, gross though 
Oh, very much, yes. But um, the Tsarina was looking for someone to heal her son, Alexei, who was uh, a hemophiliac. I think that's the right word. But uh, essentially where he would start bleeding and would continue to bleed because his blood doesn't clot. So thin blood, is that from like a lack of iron or do you know what that... I don't know what it comes from, but those of like most uh, inbreeding type nobility tend to have that sort of problem. So those that try to keep pure bloodlines tend to have something along those problems. But he received a cut one day and doctors weren't able to stop the blood at all. And like he was almost certainly going to die when Rasputin showed up saying he needed to see the prince because he needed to help him. Now... The royalty thought this was very strange because they'd have no idea how he could know about such a thing happening or like such news getting out since they almost never told anybody about this condition with Alexei. But some theorists say that it was because of the Raven sisters that ended up telling Rasputin about this, which is why he went there and somehow knew the unknowable. But... This only convinced the Tsarina even more that this guy was truly spiritually guided. Yeah, would make sense. But essentially, Alexei was bleeding. The doctors couldn't exactly help. They would do all the different sort of medicines to help with pain and everything. And when he arrived, he essentially told the doctors to leave. And later, Alexei was able to heal. So, essentially, doctors were trying for hours. Rasputin kicked him out. And he fixed the problem. Which even more strengthened the Tsarina's belief that this man was spiritually blessed. Yeah, especially if the doctors couldn't. Yeah. But the thing is, a lot of, like, uh, doctors these days and people that study the hemophilia type... Uh, problem said that most doctors in that time would essentially prescribe aspirin to help with pain and it's a blood thinner which would only worsen the problem so he thinks that essentially Rasputin getting rid of the doctors giving him aspirin probably helped more than anything else so some science in there there is maybe not wholly but possibly And with this, performing the impossible to the Tsarina, uh, he essentially became the dignified, spiritual, and sort of mystic guide for the Romanov family. And he would essentially come in and check on Alexei every week and spend a lot of time in the castle, which is where a lot of these rumors were him and the Tsarina were a secret couple. But descriptions of the Tsarina would show that she almost definitely wasn't. Well, like, if she was very spiritual, though, and did some of his spiritual 
cleansing. I, I mean, like, you could see how the rumor got started, but how do you mean, like, the descriptions of her mean she wasn't? Um, With her personality, like, she was very prudish and very proper and very, like, dedicated to her duty as the Tsarina. So they wouldn't allow her to be unfaithful to her husband, and she wouldn't essentially succumb to this like any sort of charismatic type person trying to sleep with her but that's most of how people would have described her and they also found that a lot of these rumors were essentially just hearsay with him showing up every week got it also he smelled really gross so i mean stay away from that see that's where my mind went but that's it sort of just made sense for both reasons how one would take each one and with him there so often he did often spend time with not just alexi but with the rest of the romanov children as well and even started to refer to the czar and tsarina as mom and dad because yeah a little and would often like those days where he would go there he would often spend the night and essentially help instruct the children as well with reading them stories and spending a lot of extra time with them which several nannies would point out was upsetting to them or something weird about it one even accused him of raping her which the tsarina couldn't comprehend and had her fired and another one was fired because he's she said that Rasputin was spending too much time like closely with the older Romanov daughters oh yeah but all the children defended Rasputin and they said how mean the nanny was to them so she was also fired yeah but like at the same time like if he's a charismatic manipulative man Mm -hmm. uh i forget what show it is on netflix you can kind like they can kind of just manipulate that person into thinking like oh i need to defend like basically the rapist and yeah that was kind of where my mind went with that as well yeah and i mean you spend a lot of time with these very impressionable that would only make it even easier for him i assume yeah but that's most of what he had involved with the Romanovs. At oh, least starting out. It's called the Abducted in Plain Sight. Oh, I haven't one. seen it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a little creepy and crazy. Yeah, but I should kind of point out that these visits to the Romanovs they were only once a week. So what he did in the other days of the week was more along the lines of what he did before true he just would have these sort of potluck parties for like occult enthusiasts which usually was only women where they would essentially all gather start to eat and while Rasputin was under the influence of some either alcohol as well as some hallucinatory drugs he would essentially just sit there and stare until he started to mumble. 
in which essentially all the rest of the party goers would stop their conversations and just listen to him intently. And most of those times it was just some sort of sort of babble, sort of talking in tongues. Yeah. And a lot of times it would also just be scripture verses as well as some sort of great wisdom type words. So good quote type things Okay. that would only make them more enthralled that this guy was some sort of mystical, almost full on return of the Messiah. So these people were very much on the, he's the second coming of Christ. And usually one or two of them would stay afterwards that he would just designate to stay with him and sleep with him later that night. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So aside from these sort of potluck dinner orgy type things that he would set up, uh, he would also frequently visit brothels and bathhouses, which are almost the same thing in St. Petersburg, at least at the time. And you would pay for a bath, which he never took. Gross. Weird enough. I know. It's just like, you already paid for it. Why don't you? I, I don't know. Just but he would... wash. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Maybe the smell made him feel closer to God. I don't know. But it's so unattractive. You know... You would think so, but with all these like aristocratic women, as well as essentially the emperors of Russia being in close proximity to to him all the time, is just how did this smell not bother them unless it was relatively common? True, true. So that's my only excuse for that. But so he'd have, he'd visit the palace, he'd have these potluck type orgies, and he would visit these bathhouse brothels, and he would hire these prostitutes. He would beat himself to beat the sin out of himself, and then beat the prostitute to beat the sin out of them, and then sleep with them. I would, like, just refuse if I was said prostitute. I know, but also it seems almost out of order to do that. Yeah. It's just like you're punishing yourself for things you're about to do. I don't... The logic doesn't quite follow for me, but he was also very drugged up almost constantly. But he would often leave these women in a very bad state i could imagine yes and this part ended up being where most people started viewing him the most as a potential antichrist and started to get more and more bad reputation while also simultaneously having a good reputation with nobility so the people didn't like him, but the nobles relatively did. But 
it was a weird time, very divided almost constantly throughout his life on people's opinions of this guy. Yeah. But this brought to the attention a lot of people that did, at least at once, work in the working girl profession at some point. And while he was away from St. Petersburg, there's actually a former prostitute that attempted to assassinate him the first time. Well, like, if he had tried to beat me to death before, I mean, I don't necessarily blame her. Well, that's the thing. She had never met him, only heard of him, knew what he did to prostitutes, and was enraged. And she was also a bit of a drinker herself. And her name was Chionya Guseva, who throughout her career as a prostitute was also beaten many times by many different people. And at the time had already had her nose cut off. So she was noseless. What? I know. What? I, I know. It. So she had a lot of reason to be upset at people who did these sort of things. And she was in his hometown of Pokrovskoy, which he was then visiting, saw him, and then stabbed him in the gut. He was brought to a surgeon who was able to stitch him up and get him back to normal. And there's some talk that this was former mentor of Rasputin's essentially monastery type days. Okay. That influenced Chionya to do this, but in the end there wasn't any good evidence to suggest this, and she was later found insane and was held in an, an asylum. So, this was the first, essentially, outward action by the public to remove Rasputin from the whole influence over the empire and the people reacting to what it's doing. Okay. Gotcha. But it's also not the last time. Um, now, a couple of the nobles really didn't like how much he was influencing the whole Russian politics. Because at this time, the Tsar was with his troops uh, fighting in World War One. So the Tsarino is basically in control of the homeland and he was... Yeah. Or she was wrapped around his finger. He was both advisor and acting czar in some ways took on a lot of the czar's duties that the czarina didn't do so he was basically controlling the country as well oh wow yeah so he had a lot of say in what was going on and a lot of people didn't like this because it was just some commoner controlling the country who is stoked up on drugs well, the Tsar was too, but most leaders in this time were using some sort of either opioid 
or alcohol combined with a bunch of different things because it's a stressful job. Fair. Now, one particular noble who was uh, essentially a prince as he was married to the Tsar's niece, uh, Felix Yusupov, and a few other noble men as well, but Yusupov was essentially the ringleader of this whole thing, essentially invited Rasputin to his house. Uh, and this was the 30th of December in 1916 um, to talk with Rasputin about possible, I guess, laws or policies that he should be doing, but essentially was just inviting him over for dinner type thing. Yeah, like a political dinner. Yes, but the thing is, it was also very late at night so like right around midnight is when they arrived at yusupov's home so yusupov and his buddies brought rasputin down to this basement meeting area type thing sort of like a den but still had table and refreshments and everything okay and offered him some of these essentially cakes and tea just to eat while they were talking but all of these things were laced with cyanide okay and initially Rasputin was essentially not on board eating any of these things but after a while he did begin to eat all of these different poisoned items and he didn't appear to be affected by it at all. Which kind of threw Yusupov a bit off. And also then offered him wine. Uh, Madeira or Madeira wine. Not exactly sure what that is specifically. But he had also laced that with cyanide as well. So Rasputin ate a lot of uh, cyanide. Yes. He ate things with cyanide, he drank things with cyanides, and had three glasses of wine, all with cyanide in it, and was still fine. Okay. A little drunk, but fine. So about 2.30 in the morning, Yusupov was just a little bit like, this shouldn't be happening, and he has to fix it completely. By He went going upstairs, getting a revolver, and then coming back down pointing it straight at Rasputin, who didn't even react. Like, he saw it, and he just stared at him. Okay. With his gun. Yeah. And Yusupov shot him right in the chest. Ouch. Yeah. So, now he's been poisoned, and now he's been shot, and he's passed out on the ground. Yeah. So, to kind of cover their tracks a little bit, him and his friends had one of them dressed up as Rasputin, and then drove to his home. Okay. And when they came back to find him still on the floor, to just double-check that he's dead, he essentially leapt up and attacked Yusupov. So he's poisoned, shot, and then... Can fight off. From, yeah. Yeah. Started fighting him. Of course, Yusupov broke free and fled out into the courtyard, which Rasputin slowly followed because he was shot. Yeah. At which point, Yusupov and his friends shot him again. Whoa. 
one of them straight in the middle of the forehead and like basically point blank. So he has two shots in his chest, one in his head. And he's not dead yet? He wasn't moving at all. And nobody seemed to be like thinking he was awake at all. So they wrapped him up in just this large cloth, shoved him in the back of a trunk, drove a while to this Petrovsky bridge, and then dropped him off into the river through a hole in the ice that was likely made by a fisherman. Okay. And essentially the story went out almost immediately that these people murdered Rasputin. And many people were well aware that he was killed before they even found his body. And this is where a lot of controversy happens. Because some reports say that certain things happen and some report other things. The thing is, depending on how the story played out in your mind, it was still weird no matter what. So the coroner had stated in several different places, different coroners as well, that he was found with water in his lungs farther down the river, as well as other people said that they witnessed a body thrashing in the river that was essentially frozen over. So so he was alive because the water was in the lungs, therefore he was taking water in the lungs, so he somehow managed to survive those two gunshot wounds? The three now. Three. So two in the chest, one in the head. Okay. Bunch of cyanide and yeah. drowned. Oh. Is most of what some stories say. Yeah. Some others say that there was no water in his lungs and there was no sign of him ever being poisoned. So there's a bit of a toss up on how all that kind of went. So if there's some that say he's never been poisoned, what did the prince say? Or like, how did that story of like what happened and he got shot that many times? Do you know? Uh, I honestly do not know. But I think the prince was banished. And there wasn't a whole lot that he talked about with it. And... Lots of different stories come from this time as well, because this is right before the revolution that overthrew the Romanovs. Got it. So a lot of things were lost in that time. Oh, yeah, because didn't the revolution where they all kind of died happen like the basically like the week after or something? Like within the next two years, uh, all the Romanovs were dead. Mm-hmm. but they were the revolt happened before that but they're all their trials and whatnot yeah resulted in him dying much later but that was essentially one of his predictions uh essentially right after he got stabbed by uh the noseless woman yeah said that he is essentially a walking dead man at this point and okay. that Upon his death, the entire bloodline of the Romanovs will cease to be as well. So one of his prophet 
dramatizations came true. And with him stating that as blatantly as he did, also led people to think that the reason why he was so hard to kill is because he was already dead. Yeah. So that only added Creepy. more and more to it. Right? Yeah. And the Zarin's arena, didn't they have like six or so like getting to um, adult kids? There was only a few that were past puberty by this time. But I think they only had a total of six kids. Okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And Aunt, not to like circle around to the movie or anything, but Anastasia was the youngest still, correct? Yeah. Okay. At least I think so. Unless they were, she was supposed to be a secret seventh. Supposedly, uh, all of... The Romanovs were captured all at once, and they were all yep killed by firing squad later. Yep. It so. was, yeah. It was in their basement that they all hid in and uh, whatnot as people had broken for the revolution. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, yeah. So, all that... Uh, all that took to kill Rasputin was to be drowned not shot or poisoned or destroyed the brain, which doesn't add up to the zombie thing because he was shot in the head. That should have done it if yeah. he was a zombie. Well, but, I mean, double tap, you know? Well, he was triple tapped and he was still going, so... But not triple tapped in the brain just once. True. True point. Yeah. But he did... Uh, His four kids did live on and his daughter, uh, Maria... Uh, actually lived to be uh lived to 1977 after that russian pop song of rasputin came out so in a weird way she had to be like close to 100 or over 100 no uh she was born in uh 1898 okay. so oh so like 90 90s so 80s just under 80 okay i think yeah but she was also a a dancer and a lion tamer in a circus so she lived a pretty cool life a pretty exciting life sounds like yeah but also her dad was like never around so yeah yeah that's the story of rasputin and yeah it's kind of weird creepy can't really fully explain everything but some things can be they did find the body right because you you were talking about the coroners okay yes it was found further down the river wasn't there some speculation at some point that like he survived the river or something um that's more of where like the occult type things happen but he was buried and then burned okay so his body is nowhere to be found, though his member is in a museum. Oh, okay. That, yeah. 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 Well, I so, mean, Galileo's it, finger is in a museum, so that's, yeah. that was apparently a thing back then. Essentially, the most famous part about him is what's preserved, so. Apparently so. Yeah. But... That's it for Rasputin, the unkillable fiend that controlled the Russian 
country for a while. Neat, neat, neat. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So, do you want to take us out? Yes, I will. So, thank you guys for listening to Violent Vice. If you want to email us some spooky stories or personal true crime stories, you can do it at violentvice at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Violent Vice Podcast. And this is and as an A-N-D, no ampersands here. <laughs> and you can also fi- find us on Twitter at Vile and Vice. And if you want to go above and beyond and support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com backslash vice. We would really appreciate it. Um, And there's bonus content for you to listen to and look at, as well as you guys can give us your input on merch ideas and whatnot. So thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, there's going to be bloopers and more stories that hurt my soul. In the Patreon. So if you enjoyed that, you sick people. Uh, yeah, you can find that by supporting us there. And again, we really appreciate you guys just listening and hitting that subscribe button and giving us five stars. And Patreon's just above and beyond. And we really appreciate you all. Thank you so much. See you later. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Reback. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash violinvice or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.